Hello, and welcome to Occupied Thoughts, a podcast brought to you by the Foundation for Middle East Peace. I am Sarah Ann Minkin, Director of Programs and Partnerships for the Foundation. Today is June 20th, 2022, and I am delighted to be here with Samiha Hareini. Samiha is an activist from the village of Atwani, which is in Masafariyata in the South Hebron Hills in the occupied West Bank. She is working towards a university degree in English literature and is one of the founders of a group of activists called Youth of Sumud. Together with her brother, Sammy, in 2021, Samiha was recognized with a Frontline Defenders Award for Human Rights Defenders at Risk. Thank you so much for being here with us today, Samiha. Thank you, dear. You're welcome. So we're going to talk about life and activism in Masafriyata, an area under particular threat in the West Bank. After a 20-year legal battle, this is just to set the scene, after a 20-year legal battle, a few weeks ago, the Israeli Supreme Court handed down its final decision about an area of Masafriyata called Firing Zone 918. This is an area that the Israeli military designated to itself in the 1980s for training, despite the fact that Palestinians have lived in this area for generations. In May, a few weeks ago, the Supreme Court's final decision gave the Israeli military the green light to expel the Palestinians who live in firing zone 918 and to demolish their homes. More than 1,000 people are now in danger of being expelled or being forcibly transferred in the language of international law. These actions of expulsions and demolitions have already begun. FMEP has been covering the struggle over the firing zone and the broader area it sits in, Masafriyata, and our podcasts and our webinars and our weekly news roundups. I'll put links to our coverage on the landing page for this conversation that we're having now with Samiha. So Samiha, let's start with, with an understanding, a description of your beautiful village Atwani and of Masafriyata. Your, your village sits just outside the boundary of firing zone 918. Will you tell us about the village, what life is like there? Who are the residents of Atwani? How do they make their living? Where do you go to school? Just give us give us the background, please. Sure. So hi, everyone. I am Sami Haurani. I'm 23 years old. I am an activist in uh, the group of the Samud in the area of South Hebron House in Safariyatta. I'm living in Tuani village. Uh, Tuani village is uh, located uh, in the south of West Bank, in the beginning of Masafariyatta, a lot of uh, people, like it's the gate of Masafariyatta, because when you are in Tuan, you can just uh, start uh, going for the other villages in Masafariyatta. The people who's living in, Mas- in Tuani, who's just a simple farmer, who are just living uh, from grazing the sheep and access to their land, planting uh, olive tree and harvesting their land, and they are just living this uh, simple life. Uh, Tuani village uh, have a master plan. Master plan means that we are allowed to build the normal houses and we are allowed under the Israeli occupation law to have electricity and water and to live uh, kind of with a, a little bit life service, as I mentioned before. Uh, this master plan, the Palestinian people who are living in Tuani village really worked so hard to get it after more than 10 years while they were trying with the Israeli military court to get the master plan. 
and they get it for just 30 dunum where they can uh, build and have electricity and water and roads and all of that. Uh, immediately when they get the master plan, they start to build 20 school. So we have a 20, in 20, we have a school that we, uh, it's the main school actually in all the area that we luckily, when I was a child, I was lucky, lucky really to have a school close to my house that it was, uh, and not suffering a lot to go from my school, but the other villages who's around us that they have to come to study in Twani village, they were really suffering, especially Tuba village who have to pass through the illegal outpost of Habat Ma'un to come to their school every morning and every afternoon to go back home. Uh, so uh, we are living in Twani, a big uh, really suffering with the education sufferers that they are living close to our village, which is in Habat Ma'un. They are just firing less than five minutes than our homes and our uh, property as Palestinian. They are not so far than our land that we are uh, that they are so close to the settlement. So we are facing them every day in the morning, after in the afternoon, in the night, in the morning, in every time because they are just so close. They just go down and start to attack the people and you know cutting the trees uh, and raiding the Palestinian houses, scaring the children around. And all of that is to uh, lead to the life of the Palestinian people here hard and hard and encourage them to leave this area because they are, you know, extending settlements and stalling the Palestinian people lands that they are close to the settlements. So they are using all their violent way to make the people scared and uh, leave, you know, let them live in fear to leave uh, this village. So as I told you, Tuani have this uh, master plan and it's better than the other villages around us because the others have no life services. We can say this sentence because they are not allowing even to have a normal house to live in. All the Palestinian people rights here is violated because uh, even their houses is about just caves and shelters and uh, shelters sorry and the tents because they are not allowed to build uh, houses in this area because for the israeli occupation law that this is illegal for the palestinian people to be in this area so they have to be kicked out and they have to move this area uh, so this is uh, how it's going and then this is the situation here in 20. Hey. Thank you, Samiha. Thank you so much for, for painting that picture for us and explaining to us about the master plan that uh, Tuani fought for and received. And so the village itself, the buildings in the village itself have, as, as you said, like uh, some more legitimacy and, and, and security within the 30 dunam that, that uh, Tuani is allowed to have. And um, you mentioned that the specifically about the school that you were lucky to go to and, and that the, the children from Tuba, which is in the firing zone, have to cross by the, the settlement, the, the outpost of Chavat Ma'on in order to come to Twani for school. And I'm going to put a link on the um, on our landing page. Uh, Ali Awad, who is a, an activist from Tuba, has written about what it was like as a child to grow up and have to cross but have to have and, and to go to school in Twani and, and what yeah. it meant to him to uh, to have to walk and face settler violence to go to school in, in Twani. So I'm going to I'm going to put a link to that so that uh, our listeners can read more and, and try to understand more listening to you, Samiha, and, and, and to other people, what it's like to grow un, to grow up and to live under this threat of settler 
outposts and settlers taking Palestinian land um, and with the Israeli military's uh, assistance and, and, and support. And so in the face of all of this, you, as you said, are an activist, um, primarily with a, this group called Youth of, Youth of Sumud. So um, will you tell us about that? Start with the name. What does the name of the group mean? What does it refer to? Sure. Uh, Youth of Sumud is a group of male and female. We are all uh, consider ourselves as a human rights defender, and we are defending our human rights that are violated in the area of Masafariyatta as much as we can. We are an independence, uh, total independence group. We just born in 2017 in a village of Basarura. Basarura was an evicted village uh, in the 90s and it was an important call for the Israeli settlers to confiscate this land, to uh, connect through, uh, through this land of this village to illegal outposts together, Habat uh, Ma'on and uh, Abigail. So the idea was uh, started in 2017 by a lot of activists, Palestinian activists, international activists, to uh, you know create a camp in this village to protect it from this uh, plan for the Israeli settlers who's living in the settlements of Habat Ma'on and Abigail. Uh, we, we really published that camp in 2017, but the story for after three months, a lot of activists start to leave the area and the camp start to be empty again. In that moment, Youth of Sumud was born to continue and lead the different activities that we used to do in that uh, camp, it was Sumud camp. Uh, and then we decide, uh, we start really from few people, like around six to eight person, male and female, that we will, we have to help this uh, village to don't be confiscated. And we have to encourage the families who are evicted and kicked out from this village to come back and live in again. And we really start, uh, from uh, you know restorating the caves make it more bigger uh, taking care of the land planting more trees and uh, we try to make it you know able to be living because after 20 years it's also hard to encourage a family with their kids to come back and live inside the village again after all the high level of violence that they see from the settlers and the army by the night raids and the day raids the arrests the attack you know, scared them with dogs. They were really scared about their kids and their self. So they just leave the area and the village. So the idea was is to encourage his family to come back and live in their caves again. So we start, uh, because we were so few, we were, you know, easy for the Israeli occupation settlers and army to attack us. So all, all the members of the group get arrested and attacked and, you know, harassing to stop our idea at Youth of Samud. Uh, but we continued all of uh, these risks that the Israeli occupation settlers army started to put in front of us because they were, you know, raiding us in the night, uh, destroy our property as a group, uh, arrested the guys, uh, you know, the settlers came and, uh, you know, broke the trees. They came and they burned the cave where we used to live because we, we take the cave as one of our center to, uh, you know, organize activity and bring attention for this village and bring people and you know activists and international visitors to hear the story of Sarura and uh, to hear the story of Youth of Sumud that they were born totally independent and the attacks that we get uh, from the Israeli occupation settlers and army so we really paid the, the high the very high price of our activism that time but we continue because we get a good um, supported from my family, my parents, my grandmother, that she's a, 
around eight years old right now, but she was really encouraging us to continue because she, she keeps telling us that you are the youth, you are the hope of us right now because we really got tired. She was really having her long history in the resistance and in the nonviolent resistance with this occupation and settlers because she was also a refugee from 48. So she lived the two, the both Nakba and she was refugees and she was suffering a lot in her life to be here today in 20 and resist until this moment. And after all these years, so she's older than the occupation and she will pass with um, every day and every night and she was passing in very hard life through her journey with the occupation in this area. So she was the main supporter for us. She was encouraging us and she told us that we have we see the hope through you and your eyes and we hope that you will continue our struggle with this occupation until we be free one day and you have to continue in believing yourself that you can do that. So we were totally independent as I mentioned before. So we were even my mom was cooking to us in that camp. And while we were living in dark caves without electricity, without water, but we are following the idea that it was born between all of us as, as an activist, as a youth activist. We all was uh, still a school student. We were continue also our studying uh, through uh, the camp that we were following too. So we used to come to study and eat and sleep in the same cave until the family decide to come and back uh, and back to live in this village again. So it's an, a really full experience for us uh, that we start in a very small age to be an activist and we lead an uh, idea as a youth of Sumud and we have to follow it. It was a big responsibility on our children, but we really got the enough support from our, our own family and we got the trust from other people that we continue with all the challenges that the occupation brought in front of us. Sami, as you mentioned, he's my brother and he's really an active with me. He was targeting and kicked and, uh, you know, targeted badly by the Israeli occupation settlers and army. He was shooting, he, they drive on him. He was arrested a couple of times. Uh, and there are the many points they put him uh, on him so the, to stop his activism. But Sami was strong enough to keep going in his um, uh, active, uh, you know, journey. And until this moment, he's still an activist. He's the organizer of the Sumud because he was one of the main people who who were used to get this idea be bigger and bigger. Because we don't stop our idea just in the South Hebron as youth of Sumud. We just go through all over the West Bank, the places where we can reach. I mean, in Nablus, in Ramallah, in Hebron, in Bethlehem, in everywhere, East West Jerusalem. We start also to connect some groups from Gaza and also with some groups from 48 to bring them for this area to, to show them. And then we exchange the experience with other youth people from all over Palestine, the places where we can reach. Also that we cannot reach through uh, the internet, and the social media, we were connected uh, with them. Uh, we called ourselves Youth of Sumud because we are the Youth of Sumud. Sumud means steadfastness uh, since 2017 until this moment. And we are still uh, struggling and resist this occupation and these crimes and this operation with this occupation. So we called ourselves Youth of Sumud, Youth of Steadfastness, because we were born from the middle of needed and from the middle of uh, suffering and struggling with this occupation. So 
we called ourselves on this name that we have to continue and to let the uh, world and the Palestinian also community know about us and what's happening here because Masafariyat for sorry and that's what make it more painful for us that it's unknown and no one is talking about what's happening here in Masafariyatta. And this is supporting and helping the settlers and the army here to keep their crimes against our humanity in this place that no one is giving even care about what's happening in Masafariyatta. So we felt more as Yutuf Sumud that it's our responsibility to turn on the light in all what, the stuff that's happening in Masafariyatta, all the violation all the crimes, all the oppression that the Palestinian people is living here, it should be showing out for the war, international world and international community and also for the, inter for the Palestinian community. So also that uh, was one of the main uh, points was supporting me and Sami to get the Frontline Defenders Award for 2021 to talk about Musafiriyata even in the international community and also in the social media so this is one of the big success things that we do me and sammy for masafariyata to be known and to talk about it so what we are trying to do right now that all the energy that we have as youth it should be going for the resistance and how we can bring attention and where uh, awareness for this uh, bring awareness for this place from different people and we really ask them to share what's going on here Masafariyata is passing uh, in another new Nakba in the next period. And in this time, in this hard time that we pass on, all the people, uh, Palestinian people living in Masafariyata, if the Israeli occupation military court will really do the decision that she gave us in May, that they will evict eight villages and uh, more than 1,500 persons will be refugees and homeless again. And this is one of the stuff that we all is working really hard to make it stopped through our pressure in the Israeli court and Israeli army that they are always in this area. So uh, through also, uh, you know, our, you know, talk to you and to other people who is really caring about what's happening in Masafriyata, we are asking the people that please share what's going in Masafariyata and stop these crimes that's happening. Think about the families who will be homeless and have nowhere to go. Think about the children who are living in Shetlers and Cave and we are in 2022 while all the world are following the technology lifestyle and everyone is just looking for their, you know, um, uh, you know, safe and peace home and they have to back to their bed at the end of the night just go in peace and sleep quietly here the people are not even sleeping because any moment the israeli occupation bulldozers will go down and demolishing their house which is just caves and tents and this is a big oppression that the you know the people all over around the world have to know about this we are not talking as palestinian we are talking as a human being we are talking to the world humanity that these things happening against the human against children against women against young men and old men and young women and old women and this is what happen you know so i think it's really enough that make us move and do something for this we are just asking you to share our struggle and suffering here to show it and make a pressure and bring attention as much as we can to this place to stop these crimes and you know they deserve to live in peace and we deserve to live in peace as all over the world 
Thank you so much for all of that, Samiha. That was so powerful to hear. And I, I, um, I, I have so many, so many more questions based on, on what you just said, but I, I want to just um, reflect on a, a couple of the things that you talked about. So youth of sumu, the, 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 youth of, the youth of steadfastness, so much of your work is about bringing attention to what's happening in Masafariyata and to the activism that, that, that you're doing, the resistance that you described. And it's about doing that work you and Sammy speaking to international audiences and bringing attention, also speaking to Pal- reaching out to Palestinian audiences, because as you said, Palestinians uh, don't know so much about what's happening in Masafariyata and especially about the resistance that that uh, Youth of Sumud has been has been doing, in- including how you started, which was building this this camp in the village of Sarura, a village that had been um, where the people had been uh, expelled and the village had been emptied for the sake of the settlers. And you did this very scary, it sounds like a very brave work of returning, making that village livable again and staying there, even in the face of of settler violence. Um, And you mentioned people being arrested and, and being, and being attacked. Um, And you talked about the support that you got and that you get from your, from your family and your grandmother in particular, who herself is a, a refugee from the Nakba from, from 48. Um, I want to ask you more but be- more about the, the present and the future. But before we go on, will you tell our audience a little bit more about your grandmother? Where was, where was she from? How did she get to Twani? Yeah, my grandmom, she's Fatma Horini. She was living in El Karitain village inside 48. And uh, she was uh, kicked out to, you know, in the Nakban 48 uh, with all the Palestinian refugees who were, uh, you know, running from the Israeli occupation at that time. And uh, Tuani was the last point that the people can resist in because there is the um, Highway 317 that's cutting the area of Masafir Yatta than the Yatta city itself. And uh, the Israeli occupation was uh, trying to make a wall uh, to in this uh, road, so they cut all Masafir Yatta and South Hebron Hills uh, from the other a area of Yatta and Hebron and the other uh, cities around. So, but the people keep resist in that time to don't make this wall because if it was just just happening, such happening, all the area of Masafir Yatta will be confiscating and be using by the settlements and the military training area and firing zone area. So the people just stop in 20 because she, I told you it's the gate of Masafir Yatta. So it also was the end line for them because if they were just kicked out of the road, all the villages with 20 will be taken by the Israeli occupation. So they stop in 20 and they resist in 20 with all the trying and uh, the occupation uh, you know attacking them arresting them also they try to you know evict them also from this village but they resist and they manage to stay in 20 they they was doing a weekly demonstration my father who is Havad Horini he was uh, also the organizer of the non-violent resistance the South Hebron so he was also organized a lot of, uh, you know, demonstration and uh, bring attention, bring the, the media here, bring important people, international people 
for this place to stop the wall in the same time to uh, support the resist to stay in 20. So I told you they were suffering years and after 10 years, they managed to have the master plan. They succeeded to remove the wall from the road of 317. So they have a big success in Tuani village. They have a long history in resistance, but a big success also for them that they managed to do all these all that things but uh, the other villages are still living in uh, you know without master plan they are living just in cave and sense so my grandmom she was one of the people that she was passing in all these things since 20 was not a village because 20 before like in the 90s and before it was just caves also there's no roads and there's no water there's nothing so they were living in in between the stones to protect themselves and their kids and their sheep so they were building the caves from stone because they have no other choice. They was having tents because they really don't have another choice. So Tuani was, uh, you know, hugging these people who were refused from for, from forty eight and from the villages from forty eight. So they have no choice because if they just leave Tuani, they have they cannot back from Safriata forever. So they were thinking that we have to resist as much as we can in Tuani. So they, she told me that in that time when she was refugees, she she is not she is not the owner of the lands of Tuani. So she started looking for whose owner that. So she buy some of the lands to live in. So she buy some of the lands and then uh, it was confiscating by Habat Ma'on settlements and they took her land. But she was still resisting her house. My grandma was living in a stone house in Tuani that we are still having it for now, but for sorry that they are not allowing us to restore it or to, you know, to rebuild it. Uh, she told a lot of story while she was living in that stone house with her kids, who was my father and my uncles, and how, was, how it was her journey with the occupation all that years to be here today. My grandma, uh, she is really a brave person because she was attacked by the settlers because she was a shepherd, she was a mother. My grandfather lived this life and she was suffering all that alone with her kids. She had to take care of her kids, of her sheep, of her house, and she don't know if she will stay in the houses where she was uh, evicted for, even in Tuani. So she was taking a lot of responsibilities and she was really tiring of that, but she was really strong enough to resist and to stay and to bigger my, my you know, taking care of my father and my uncles to be bigger and to resist with her this occupation and this life because it was a hard life that she passed on. So she was the shepherd, she was the mother, she was the man, she was everything. When she was going out with the sheep, the settlers beating her. When she go to the any demonstration, the army was beating her. My father and my uncle was arrested for couples of time and she was really scared about them and she cannot alone protect them to be arrested or attacked. Uh, my grandmom, uh, when they was trying to remove the wall in 2006, uh, that they do uh, demonstrations and the army was trying to arrest my father and they were, they were beating him so bad. She was trying to protect him and stop the army of beating my father because they were beating him so bad. But one of the soldier uh, threw her in the, you know, in the street and there was a rock and it was coming in her head in the back and she lost one eye and one ear. She don't see very well and she don't hear very well right now from the attacks of the Israeli occupation army and settlers against her. 
six settlers go down for her in her field and attack her with a stick and rocks and she was hospitalized also and she was suffering a lot in that time she is just an old woman and she was just grazing her sheep and she was attacked also badly couples of time from them so she was really an, a big example for us in what does it mean resistance what does it mean following your rights what does it mean believe your rights so she was the main person that she was keep supporting us and really she was for me also because i am a young woman activist she was who was giving me all this power to be here today even to talk to all of you she's an old woman but she have the full energy that she can give it to you as a person to continue on what because she was suffering a lot to be here so it's our time to continue what she was doing and to you know try as much as we can to help this place as the old people used to do. So it's a generation issue. So she was the old one, she passed it to us and we have to pass it for the new generation that's coming after us. So because we know who's the owner of the land, we know how they paid this high price of their health, of their body, of their work, of their living in big fear while she was my grandma living so close to Havat Ma'on settlements in this stone house without a roof, with her kids, without anyone with her. You know, the, the high level of fear that she was living in in that time just to protect her land and to protect her children to don't be homeless again because there is nowhere to go for. So this is what we are talking about. This is the, you know, the upper tide. This is the ethnic cleansing that the Israeli occupation is trying to do. We're looking in... You know, in the settlements have all their life service that they need. They have the water, the electricity, they have even universities in the settlements. They have schools, they have uh, hospitals, they have everything. In the other hand, the Palestinian villages is just stones and have even water they don't have. And they're just suffering because they are following the rights in their land. So this is the injustice that we are talking about in this world and what's happening in Masafriyat. That the kids of the settlers who are not the owner of the land, who don't have the, the right in this land, are just enjoying all their rights while the Palestinian children are working through settlements uh, with the extremist settlers that they, they attack them and they throw them with rocks, they following them with dogs, they're following them with cars and make their life hard and hard. And this is the injustice that we are talking about and the apartheid that the Israeli occupation is starting to do against us. And I guess the Palestinian people who was living in Masafariyat. Thank you, Samiha. Thank you for all of that and um, for being so clear about, about what this apartheid looks like. And thank you for describing your, your grandmother to us. Tell me her name once again. Fatma Horeni. Fatma Horeni. Thank you for talking to us about your grandmother and, and about what, what you learned from her and what she means to you and this incredibly high price that uh, she has paid to to stay on her land and to raise, to raise her family, um, your family. And I, I want to ask you, um, your grandmother is, is this model of resistance for you. Will you tell our audience what it's like to be a, a woman activist? What is, is there, what, what is, what is unique to your experience as a woman in activism? Um, look, I'm still uh, 23. I start new in the 23 but i have this full experience that make me feel that i am more and more older than that because 
really growing up in Masafariyatta, even as a young woman or a young man, it's really difficult. It makes you change with the time and feel yourself that you are really bigger than your age. Because when I was a child, all of us, when we were children, all the members of Yosa actually, Youth of Sumud, I grew up in a house where my father is targeting and my grandmother is targeted. And my house was really close to the settlements. And my house used to be raided a lot of time. My father used to be arrested a lot of time. My mom used to be attacked by the army while they are raiding my house couples of times. So I was seeing that while I was so, so small to see that because I was just a child. And should not be really normal and usual that the children have to see, see something like that when they just raid your house in the late hours in the morning, like four or five or three in the morning, and they just go inside of your house masked and shouting on you and your parents and, you know, scary you and arrested your father and you know this this fear that start to grow up with you that any moment something can happen because even your bed it's not a peace place or safe place that you can feel that you're really comfortable and you can sleep because you are not you are not caring about yourself or you're not really feeling fear about yourself actually we we destroy the borders of fear because we live in this high level of violence but you are worried about your mind. I mean, when you put your head in the in your bed, you're thinking about your parents, you're thinking about your brothers, your people, that they're going to be affected, you know? You're thinking about any moment your door can be destroyed and the army just inside your room for no reason. It's just terrorizing and scaring the people to go out. So it was affect me and affect the other youth activists with me, my group. And, and we can see that through our eyes because when you grow up in this high level of violence and attacks, it really affects you and your personality. And it's, it's really in any moment you are ready to the most bad things because you grow up in a, in a place where everything is just negative and scary and sound booms and shooting and demolishing and, you know, checkpoints and you know always there's a stress around you so i was growing up and thinking what's gonna happen tomorrow what's the new uh, every night we just thinking if when the sun is gonna you know go up in the morning we know that something new will happen for us and that our life is not just looking for work or job or getting married or just um, because a lot of fear details is coming with your new day. So I was growing up and thinking what I have to do, what I can do, what's the things that if I take this way, maybe I will help and I can make these things a bit less than it's happening against everyone here. So in this way, you became an activist with the time because you want to bring the change for this place and the attention for this place. It's not in your hand, actually. I was a woman and I was in a family that really gave me the full support to be an activist and to be in the field in the same time, in the house in the same time. Be a good speaker because really you need to be a good speaker to, to tell the truth and to tell the stories that's happening here and to to let the people know what you are talking about. So I feel in my years while I'm growing up that it's my responsibility. It's something I should do. 
So as a woman, always, you know, the woman is thinking more deep and they, they, they always feel more than they do. So I was feeling scaring about my brother who was shooting. I was feeling scaring about my, my, my father who was arrested. I was feeling so scared about my grandmom. She was attacked. I was really scared when my brother who was 13 years old get arrested couples of time and he's still a child. I was really scared when, my, when Sammy, who was my brother, was when the suckers drive on him, when they shoot him, when they arrested him at four in the morning from my house. You know, this, all these things is affecting you as a human being and also as a woman. So this is, you know, the photo that is going in my mind and my heart that is leading me more to be an activist. So, and also is encouraging me to encourage the others to be an activist because sometimes we face some problems here that the women are feeling not so ready to stop in front of the people and talk or um, you know uh, being an activist and go and move and go you know for some in the west bank sometimes we go to nablus to ramallah to east west jerusalem to hebron to bethlehem for everywhere to support the palestinian farmer so through my experience, I'm trying to make it easier for other women also to encourage them to be an activist because it's also our responsibility and it's also our struggling and it's also our life. So it's all in our hand that we have to work on ourselves to can be an activist because it's not easy to be an activist, really. Because if you hold the name of activist, it means you have to be an activist. You have to do everything you can do for your place for your people for your house for your family for your everything because you are living here under israeli occupation who have the power who have the power to kill you who have the power to arrest you who have the power to demolishing your house to stop your life in just a moment you know so but they cannot kill an idea in your mind and they cannot arrest the your beliefs they cannot stop your mind to keep working they cannot stop you to follow your dream and to follow what you really want so this is our vision as youth of sumud that they can arrest us shooting us attack us they can do whatever but they cannot kill our idea and our belief and our rights so we have to believe in ourselves for that i'm here and for that youth of sumud is here and for that youth of sumud is really working with the other uh, sure with the other uh, activists in the area of South Hebron Hills. Yeah, so this is, uh, you know, this is what I can share with you throughout my experience. I was part of a lot of projects that supporting the women rules in the area. I was part of a lot of trainings that can help also the women to be an activist and at the same time uh, help the women who are uneducated. They don't continue their education because of the suffering, because they cannot reach their universities and their schools. You know, there is a lot of social uh, problems uh, that I'm trying to support the women with to can be an activist and to support them to continue their resistance and struggle in this area while the woman is taking the full responsibility in this area because, you know, the, all the men's going to work and who is the say in the in the area and the house is the woman. So I can understand what does it mean to be a Palestinian woman living in this area and how it's the you know the full responsibility that they are in their shoulder and they need 
the support to continue and to so I'm trying my best through Youth of Sumud also they're supporting me with that to bring you know projects or what we can do to encourage and empowering these women to be an activist and to continue their struggle uh, sorry their activism in this area and through their their uh, struggle thank you so much Sina. you um you describe so beautifully what all of this means to you and also what it is to be an activist from generation to generation like uh in a in a in a vertical line like like through time and and also horizontally from from person to person the way that you're uh, you're working with other women and, and other people to to strengthen activists and, and activism. Um, and so I want to ask you now actually to talk a little bit about about what's happening right now and what you're expecting in the near future. Um, we, we there was a, a notice last week a couple of days ago of the, the final demolition order for the youth of Sumud Center. Um, and so I want to ask you about that, about um, what you're expecting in terms of, of, of crackdowns or, or backlash against the activists and the activism. And, um, and, and also as the, the, now the Supreme Court has made their decision about, the, the fire, about firing zone 918 and the, the 35,000 dunam there, that they have said that the Israeli military can expel the 1,500 Palestinians living there, and that as as we've said, that's that's not where Twani is, but it affects Twani. And so I wanted to ask you, um, as they have already begun demolitions in, in 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 that area, or or I should say, up up to the pace of demolitions in that area, what you're expecting in in Twani, what you're expecting in Masafriyata. Uh, yeah, so we know that we are living in Masafriyatta. Masafriyatta for the Israeli occupation is cutting for two areas. One is for the settlements and one is military training and firing zone area. And the Palestinian people is spreading out, living in caves and tents in this small village that they are around, I think, to 28 to 30 community that they are separating in different places. So Twani, uh, as you said, uh, that Twani also one of the main villages that are targeting by the Israeli occupation settlers and army in this place, because you know it was uh, really active. You know this village was really active because a lot of people used to be an activist in this area and they managed to have a master plan and you know they have a big success. So it's the same. It's the same occupation. It's the same attacks. Even Twani or all over Masafriyata is the same occupation. The same settlers. The same attacks. Uh, all the you know the strategy that they use in Tuani, they use it in the other villages. So right now, uh, with the wild decision of Masafriyata was given for the Palestinian people and the villages in May, at the same time they give us a demolition order for the community center and the guest house that it, that we have it at Zut of Sumud in Tuani village. Actually, we worked hard to get this uh, community center and guest house because it's one of the important things that can support this place because the guest house here, it was the first idea in all the South Hebron and Hills area so that they can be known when you speak about officially guest house and community center. A lot of people will use to come to sleep here and support the people. We can take them tours. So it was a beginning of a big idea that we really can do it in the ground that can supporting the people in this area. So, but for sorry, start to be targeting by the settlers and the army a lot of time. A lot of time was raided in the night, a lot of time 
and the army just came and gave us a demolishing order but it was the final demolishing order a few days ago they gave it to us while we were seeing this guest house can be a window also for some women to have jobs and for some you know young uh, guys who have no chance to work they can find work in this house that we can support even the community themselves to use this guest house as a as a chance to have work because uh, we used to have some international groups from Europe and from a lot of places that they used to come to sleep and you know hanging out in this guest house in community center and then when they sleep in the other day we take them a tour in Masakariyata to know the places and to know the villages so it was a really interesting idea in this place but for sorry we get the demolition order for this place and they give us they give it us for seven days and until today we are waiting you know any moment that they can come down and with their bulldozers and they demolish it uh, you know it's the same what's happening in uh, in these eight villages that they get the order to be evicted also while you know the occupation is, is using this strategy that, that they don't start even to demolition all the areas they start to, to demolition different villages you know some houses not evict it all together so we don't really understand what's their new strategy by demolishing in different places and starting to make uh, military tents in the roads of the villages that connect these villages together so they are trying to separate these villages to don't be even you know together in this uh, period so they can evict the people easily for them and to don't get any support from our side to help these people when they decide to to you know just kick out these people and evict them so in Masakariyata, even in Twani or all over the villages is living the same and what we expect for Twani we expect it for the other villages we are really hoping that this in one moment can just stop and the people don't leave in this fear any moment that they will be kicked out of their houses and to don't leave the fear of Nakba again and because it's really it will be such a war while if they kick the Palestinian people who's living in Masafariyata because they will use it for the military training and for shooting and firing zone. So if also these villages were evicted and kicked out they will use this land and will be closed for 20 and they will be closed for the other villages and they can just using their military guns and materials while they were using this land so they can be evict 20 you know and uh, effect 20 sorry and also 20 is if we, even we have the master plan we are in the same they're living in sea area so any moment they just can cancel all these things and tell you okay yalla, just go out and the 20 maybe will be evicted the same because they don't respect any law in this world. Israel is not respecting even the human being. They don't, they don't will not even respect the, any laws in this world. So from, for, for me, I think it will be the same. And because right now what's happening is demolishing in the other villages, also it's happening in demolishing in 20. The community center that we have, it's on the master plan. So it means that it's legal. It's not illegal building or have no pyramid. It's in the master plan. It means it's everything it's, it's, it's right for it. So that they are targeting it, you know. They focus on this building that it should be demolished because they know that it supports the communities here. And they they know that this, this uh, guest house will hold a lot of people that they will be interesting to come to hear the stories of the people and live and sleep. You know, it's a guest house that can hold 
people and the people can have official thing in, in South Hebron, and they don't want that. They want the Palestinian people keep living in caves and tents while no one is knowing about them because they know in the cave they're living under the land, so no one is knowing about you. And you have as Palestinian to stay living under the land, but no, they are a human being and they have to live as all over the world. They are not, uh, you know, an animals or something else that they have to live in the middle of the land or under the land because in the caves just because you are just trying to make a plan as occupation for you. So. Yeah, it's the same uh, regime that's happening. It's the same attacks, it's the same strategy for 20 and for all the Masafariyata villages. We hope, as I told you, we really have always the hope that this will not happen. But in the same time, the fear is still around. Thank you, Samiha. We we join you in that hope as and uh, and I imagine and believe that that the audience that's that's listening to your words and your powerful words uh, also joins you in, in that hope. And um, I want to really thank you for describing for us so powerfully both the the, the structure of the regime and, and also the experience of, of what it is to grow up and to live under such threats of violence and, and to live with this kind of fear and to make a decision as you have made even with the fear to, to stand up and put yourself at risk, at more risk as an activist. Um, and you have described that to us so beautifully and, um, and so powerfully. And I, I want to thank, thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for, for sharing your time and your analysis and your experiences with us today. Um, we're, we're going to finish our conversation. Is there anything, any last words, any last requests you want to make of our audience? Um, I will end with thank you so much to giving me your time to hear my words from Safariyata South Hebron Health, Palestine. And I hope that, uh, you know, all of you can understand what I'm talking about because I'm sure that no one, uh, not all of you are understanding what I'm talking about because without seeing by your own eyes, it's also difficult to be understand. But I hope that my words just, you know, destroy these borders between me and all of you, and uh, I let you get it and understand what the, what I mean. And I feel that it's a big responsibility on my shoulder to let you hear my people hear voices, and their call for all uh, all of you as a human being to to be standing with us and supporting us to stop these crimes that's happening. And I hope that uh, we can do something, and I can do something. And thank you so much again. And uh, yeah, that's it. <laughs> that's wonderful. Thank you, Samiha. And, and I also want to thank all of our listeners for tuning into this episode of Occupied Thoughts. Uh, please make sure to check out the FMEP website, www.fmep.org, for resources related to this podcast, for the, the links that I am putting on, on our landing page, and for um, the special section of the website that we have that FMEP has that's dedicated to Masafariyata. Uh, and also look at our website for many other uh, valuable resources and content related to Palestine and Israel. Um, please make sure that you're subscribed to this podcast so that you can stay up to date. You can find us on iTunes, SoundCloud, or Spotify. Uh, you can also watch video versions of our podcasts on YouTube. 
and again, I want to thank you so much, Samiha Hareini, for joining us today. Thank you to our audience for tuning in. And with that, I am Sarah Ann Minkin signing off until the next episode of FMEP's Occupied Thoughts.